When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Cotton Club crew. <laughs> this is another of our series of episodes chatting with the newbies to the Big 12. So far, we've chatted to Houston, BYU, Central Florida, and now we're going to talk to Cincinnati. We're joined by Justin of Viva La Cats Pod. You can find them at that Twitter account, Viva La Cats Pod. So if, be sure to follow them for information on the cats going forward. They're the last of our newcomers. We're hoping to have, do this series again, maybe around basketball season, but this will be the last edition before football season. So just like the previous editions, we're going to talk about a little bit about their 2022 season, just kind of setting the stage up for the change. <clears throat> Cincinnati undergoing pretty dramatic changes on top of joining the Big 12. So Justin, thanks for being here with us. Glad to be on. Thanks for having me, guys. All righty. We're going to hop right into it. So let's talk Cincinnati in 2022. It's an interesting season for the Cats. Um, probably not the results they wanted down the stretch, but uh, altogether, you arguably a very well-rounded season. Just those two late losses obviously kind of mar things with Tulane and then the bowl with Louisville. But the season starts with a trend with Cincinnati, very competitive against Power 5 opponents, a near miss with Arkansas, a winning streak, falling to a, a good UCF team, and then again falling to Tulane, who would, of course, knock off USC in uh, the, the New Year's Six Bowl down the line. Let's talk about 2022 heading in. Um, obviously, a lot of changes after the 2022 season. Let's start with the Luke Fickle of it all. How does it feel to be breaking in new coaches and all this being a relatively new staff in a key moment for the program? You know, where you don't have an established guy who's been there for years to kind of shepherd this transition. It's very new, very fresh, new players. The whole it's new for all the newbies, but Cincinnati's probably undergone the most changes overall. What's that like coming after 2022, trying to reset expectations now with a new kind of an entirely new page? Um. In two short words, uh, cautious optimism. <laughs> I think the hardest part about this whole situation, like you said, is just kind of you're not hitting a full reset, uh, reset button on this thing yet, but it's about as close as you can get. Um, and I think one thing to think about, like, and I'd ask you guys, I'm going to counter this with a question real quick. We'll come back to my explanations. But if you look at where the Bearcats ended up in the um, preseason polls for bas- or for football, you look at Luke Fickle going out the door. You look at all this. You have this full situation. Bearcats basically at the bottom. Where do you think that they would be if Luke Fickle stayed? Because I think we have a much, much different situation. And I think that kind of starts the story before anything else. We actually chatted about this. We, I've been asking. I did two out of three of these. Um, Joe has been here for all of the three previously. We did have on the first guest was from the uh, the Scott and Holman podcast. We oh, talked wow. to them about um, this exact question: Who are the newbies? Is kind of best positioned? How do they look? And during that discussion, the point was made that the confidence level with Cincinnati just isn't there anymore without Luke mm-hmm. Fickle, that everybody thought that was a key piece to Cincinnati being able to not just hit the ground running, but to quickly rise to the top. Because I think going into the transition period, when it looked like Luke Fickle had been retained effectively, it looked like that jump was going to keep him at Cincinnati. The money was there, all that. I think everyone was expecting Cincinnati was going to be the best of the four coming in. Losing him, I believe honestly that that move Cincinnati to the bottom. I mean, it just did. Changing's anything. And that isn't to say that I think even, you you know, we've had this talk with the other guys. I'm not even that confident any of them are ready to go, especially a team like U of H. But losing a 
a cornerstone of your program's modern success right before this change was just backbreaking from an outside perspective looking in. Yeah, tell me about it from the inside perspective. <laughs> it's one of those things that's like, it's tough, man. Like, I think everybody that's been a fan of a team for a long time has gone through some kind of coaching change that has definitely marred their expectations and has, and has completely shifted what their, what their thoughts were of their team, both short-term and long-term. I mean, this is, this is a situation that is going to be really tough. But like I said, I, back to the point of cautious optimism, um, you know, I think there is a lot to be excited about. We've got a lot of NIL deals figured out. Um, you know, they're, they're not doing a horrible job recruiting. It's not been the best, but you know, at the same time, I think we're figuring that out and you get into the big 12, like it's going to be, it's going to be hard to compete. But at the same time, like I, I look at the big 12 as anybody's game. Like, I, I don't think that, you know, Cincinnati is going to be this year, next year, or the year after is going to be ready to compete in the big 12 championship, but give it year four. If things are working right, like this is one of those things where, like I said, year after year, the big 12 has just a mosh pit of teams that can end up in that final game and can end up being the team to beat and can end up being that college football playoff team talk expanded playoff. Like it's going to be even more competitive. So I think there's, like I said, there's a lot of expectations that we have for this team um, from sort of a 5,000 foot level. But if you're really getting on like sort of the macro detail, it's just really going to be scrutinizing very heavily Scott Satterfield. I mean, he's, he's had a kind of roller coaster of a career. He had a really good high, high with app state and then coming into Louisville, um, you know, things were kind of there and it just didn't get to the expectation that they had. So I think a lot of people when the Scott Satterfield hire happened were kind of, taken aback, not necessarily like in a bad way, but they were just kind of shocked. I would say to the people that were shocked by that, um, would you at all be shocked by a coach being hired inside a two hour radius of Cincinnati from another school? Uh, it happens all the time. <laughs> it's one of the most common things that it just continues to happen for us. Um, and, you know, fortunately that has worked out for the most part, but like I said, I, I think, when you lose a guy like Luke Fickle, who's had so much prowess and has built this program literally from the bottom bellows of Tommy Tuberville's shenanigans all the way back up to a to a college football playoff team to the highest height that this program has ever reached, I really don't think that you can expect to be anywhere close to that anytime soon. And I think we're going to have to play the long game, unfortunately. Like I said, be optimistic. I do. I, I genuinely believe, and I can say this with confidence, we will not be one of the bottom two teams. <laughs> I can tell you that. I, I don't. I don't. I just don't see how that's possible. I mean, bottom three. Now you got me talking, but no, bottom two. I think is just out of the question. I think realistically, this could be a top ten team. You just got to string together a couple good wins, and you know, I think our expectation is bowl eligibility. I, I that's the hope, at least. We, during these series, have learned a lot about just the very pul- the varied pulse of the fan bases. We're going to circle back to it, but I do want to talk about, in general, this the sense that Cincinnati is, even without Luke Fickle, there is a reality that Cincinnati and BYU have played the most Power 5 teams at the highest level. BYU, of course, has a long history of beating up on Pac-12 schools. Cincinnati in the last few years, playoff team, all these uh, accolades, very competitive against Arkansas. They, they've got a lot of experience at winning at this level. Um, Houston doesn't really have it. UCF is led by a guy who kind of has that. But you know, right. they're, they're, the glory days of them doing it are a little bit further behind. How much is there this feeling that the roster is from 2022 is ready to compete at this level coming into 2023 coaching change aside, all that aside, what's the feeling about just the pure talent coming out of a, a mildly successful season heading into a much more difficult overall slate of games. Um, I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see a lot of overpowering against the top teams. And I think against the middle of the pack, there's no reason why the Bearcats shouldn't be giving every team a run for their money. Um, you know, I, I think the Big 12, like I said earlier, it's kind of this mosh pit of teams that can beat up on each other. Um, and, you know, it's kind of one of those like any given Saturday sort of things. And I think that's going to be the Bearcats this year, personally. Uh, we, we have a lot of 
talent on the team. We have a lot of veteran talent. We've retained a lot of our defensive line. Uh, that that whole edge of our of our spectrum as far as our roster goes and our competitiveness, I think that portion has been able to stay pretty strong, and I think it will continue to be that way. But offensively, you look at that, and it, it's a it's a toss up. Like this is going to be like a basically end to end brand new offense, and so the Bearcats have not traditionally been an offensive power by any stretch of the means, but uh, defensively you're going from a team that expectation is to be top 10 every single season. Um, I would, I would expect that, especially with Scott Satterfield's, you know, defensive mindset too, and his ability to kind of coach on both sides of the ball, whereas fickle is very defensive minded. Um, I, I think that we should be able to see them compete on both sides. It is, it is going to be tough, but like I said, I, I don't think there's any teams that I pick out other than maybe in Oklahoma on our schedule that are going to run through Cincinnati. Um, and I, and personally, I don't even know if that'll happen just because it's a home game. You got a big environment and, you know, hopefully things go well, but I think the biggest thing to pay attention to is our strength of schedule, which if you look across the big 12, I'm sure you guys have probably talked about this already before, and we might talk about this even more later, but we have pretty much the easiest strength of schedule out of anybody in the big 12 this season. Um, it's ranked as probably the best, if not second best, uh, for uh, ease on that side of the ball. So, like I said, I think that that's going to give us a competitive edge and be able to uh, kind of have an easier go in the first year and warm up. But once we start getting the K states and the TCUs, you know that that that's going to be a little bit tougher. Now, with the you said brand new offense, so we're talking scheme wise, everything's going to be night and day difference from Fickle to Satterfield. Is that correct? I would imagine so. I mean, like I said, you're looking at like a completely flipped uh your your running back room, you're retaining a decent amount of the guys, but your star guy is gone. Uh quarterback, this is just a it's it's going to you don't even know. We have no idea what to expect from the quarterback room. We have Emory Jones. We've got some new guys coming in through there. We've got some guys that have been here for forever and it's like it, it's this mount this this mashup of too many people that could kind of get the job done and it not like one that's like this is the clear and away winner um and i think that's going to be interesting throughout the season is you don't have that like clear and away talent uh you would expect that that'd probably be emory jones just given his experience and um you know his amount of years under the belt but uh when you get to the receiving core when you get to the offensive line when you get to all these other aspects of the offense it's going to be a toss-up it's going to be tough Okay. So just to kind of follow up with that same question, I, we already have kind of like the the quarterback, which is kind of in jumble. So that's kind of like any, any new offense or any new coach coming in that, that offensive deal, any, anything that kind of changes there, we could kind of expect that quarterback position and then having Bryant not being back there and just um, things like that, that will leave the quarterback position alone. As far as players that you guys are losing, which is going to be the biggest belt loss? Because I'm looking at y'all's stats from last year. I show McClellan, Trey Tucker, and Tyler Scott as y'all's, you know, workhorses as far as the offensive mm -hmm. goes. Two wide receivers and one running back who was actually did catch some passes outside of the backfield as well, but mostly um, between the tackle kind of stuff. So which one of those – losses are you guys going to feel the most this year uh that's going to be that's going to be a tough one but i'd say probably tyler scott um tyler scott you could second that with josh wiley as well i mean i i think our tight end room did not get used near enough um and we have some very very talented tight ends as you guys have probably heard somewhere in the stream before Tight end you. That's what we refer to Cincinnati. You just have so many great tight ends that come out of the school. Um, and unfortunately, they didn't get used enough. But, you know, we have some NFL talent in that stream as well. But like I said, I think the Tyler Scott, Trey Tuckers of the world, um, and your McClellan too, like that's that those guys are really that core of the offense from last year. And you have none of the three. So you're going to be hitting a pretty hard reset button on there. Corey Kiner, um, he is a. Uh, was a very, very talented freshman, um, or sorry, very talented senior coming out of high school, uh, a Cincinnati local ended up committing to LSU over Cincinnati. 
Um, didn't exactly go his way with minutes and with the whole Brian Kelly coaching change. All of that kind of stirred into him coming back and ending up at Cincinnati. Um, and we all expected like Corey Kiner, one of the top rated recruits in program history. He's going to be the guy. And then last year, it just didn't really come to be. He didn't get you. He got used about half as much as uh, Charles McClelland. And it, it's he's he's got the bright spots and the potential there. But I think it's going to be interesting to see between him, Ryan Montgomery, Miles Montgomery. It, it's that's going to be a quite a questionable mix to see who comes out of that because we said the same thing last year. You've got four guys who you could throw out at any given moment to be the starter. It's going to be the same thing for that. And it's going to be the same thing for the quarterbacks too. So with the offense kind of being such a mystery right now, um, you know, the big 12 has always been an offensive orientated conference that's changed right. slightly in the, in the in the last few years, depending on who you ask, you can come up with different reasons why it is true. The defenses are adjusting to the style of play better. Um, it's always true that the big 12 offenses are ahead of everyone else's in the nations and the defenses are starting to catch up. But it's also true. The last few years, the conference has had quite frankly, poor quarterback play for several years. Um, there has not been, Many just great starters. There's been one or two guys who are just leaps and bounds better than everybody else. But, you know, I'll, I'll I use this example whenever I talk about this. Like Spencer Sanders left Oklahoma State for a reason, and he was arguably one of the Big 12's best passers in the past. And, like, that's not good, right? Like, that's just embarrassing. So let's talk about how Cincinnati approaches offense in general with the new staff. What do you know about the new staff's approach? What do you expect in terms of a run-pass balance? How do you think in this league that is living and dying with the offense even still, what, what's the expectation for results there? Yeah, I think, like I said, it's going to be a bit of a mixed bag. Um, Louisville last year, if that, and that's going to be, I think, our best comparison um, something to go off of you, you look at kind of where their schedule was, um, what their results came out of. I think they had a lot of reliance on, uh, Cunningham. And so going into this year, you're looking at Emory Jones, who's a fairly similarly built, similarly oriented quarterback who Scott Satterfield went in the transfer portal and went to grab. Um, I would think that he's going to try to have that balance where, it's kind of like, I, I guess, kind of like a faux option. It's it's one of those things where I think you're going to have a lot of versatility from behind the quarterback, whoever's going to be in there. All of them have a bit of a run game. I think there is a bit of um, you know emphasis for Emery uh, and Evan Prater, of course, too, to have that uh, running game sort of in their back pocket um, and always have that option. So I, I think that is kind of where I see my head at. Um, I don't see anybody in our group as an elite passer, um, or at least not yet. I think uh, Brady Drogish gives you a very interesting mix too. Um, you know, he's going to be a freshman. I don't think that anything uh, would say right now that he would be a starter by the end of this year. Um, it just depends on how the cookie crumbles this year. But again, I, I think that balance is really going to rely on whatever quarterback you throw in there because that does change your whole versatility. But I don't think you're going to expect a lot of deep ball. I think it's going to be a lot of short game passing, and it's going to try to be breaking down some of these defenses. Um, and I, like I said, I don't know. It, it, it's like I said, you guys have a lot of questions, and I have a lot of questions too. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very, uh, very much a mystery for us still. We've been in those positions before, where you know, new coaching staff coming in and quarterbacks' offensive philosophies are changing. So we've kind of grown accustomed to, you know, well, just, you know, doing the the whole shoulder shrug kind of deal when certain questions are asked, because it's just like, well, I would like to know just as much as you want to know, because you're <laughs> asking me the question. So we right. kind of, I kind of feel for you in that regard. And I'm sure Macon feels the same way. That's just the, the life as a tech fan. That is as what we would say, you know, with all the coaching changes, but seems like we got the right guy with McGuire. And then we could talk about that at a later date in time. Um, let's go ahead and move across the to the other side of the, the, the ball there. Um, defensive side, you guys look to be at least on paper better better suited, I guess, as opposed to the offensive side. Um, starting with y'all's nose tackle, I believe, is it Jawan Briggs, the, the yes. fifth-year guy? Um, mm -hmm. How big is it retaining him and having him come back 
for his fifth year with the Bearcats? Uh, it's massive. It is absolutely massive. And this is a thing, um, you know, to kind of parallel, uh, not to jump ahead if we get there, but speaking on Dante Corleone as well, um, another very, very impressive defensive talent. You have guys that had the option to follow Luke Fickle. They've been with him, you know, this whole run. Granted, uh, Dante's newer. Um, Jawan's been Cincinnati for the past four years. So you've got uh, you've got these guys that like you expect that they can they have all the talent in the world. They can take it and go anywhere else. Um, but staying at Cincinnati from that end, I think, is just such a it's such an important diagnosis of where not just your team mentality is, but also your athletic department and being able to retain guys like that. Of course, there's certain guys that are going to ship off and that's just going to be their deal. But, um, you know, having guys that are going to be committed through a coaching change, especially in their last year, uh, I think it says a lot. And it, it says a lot, not just about, uh, again, your athletic department, but it also says a lot about uh, Brian Brown and about Scott Satterfield and about this coaching department. Like it's, it, gives you confidence that these guys have confidence in them. Um, and of course, they're going to be playing on the Big 12 stage, which is what I'm sure a lot of these guys have been looking forward to over the past season. But it's it's just going to be, you know, a- another another bit of positivity moving forward. Um, and hopefully after this season, we'll have, you know, even more guys who kind of continue to buy in. It is, it is a situation, you know, we have two Midwestern schools, I guess you could say, of Iowa State and um, now Cincinnati, both of which have, you know, largely made a name for themselves on the defensive side of the ball. Iowa State, of course, has had some great offensive performers, um, some really top talent, but they're kind of... I guess brainchild of the conference was the cloud zone. Um, Cincinnati, of course, coming in with a lot of questions offensively and a lot of returning talent defensively that can really help them out some key stars. Let's talk about the weekend weaknesses of the defense, right? Like we know what the questions are about the offense that nobody knows what to expect. Nobody knows who's going to do what. Nobody really knows what we're going to see. Um, and we won't really have any pulse for what they're good or bad at until we fundamentally understand that scheme. And defensively, obviously, scheme's going to change probably a little with philosophy, but you know that talent's a little bit better established. So when you're looking at that roster, where are you going? Like, this is the area of concern for us coming into 2023. If I'm going to speak honestly, I don't think there's too many glaring issues. Um, and then, like I said, I mean, I think it's one of those things where you look at the, like I said, you look at the offensive side of the ball and it's just so many question marks, but on the defense, like I said, you're returning a lot of guys. You have guys who have a very high prowess coming into the season, coming off of last season. Um, and, and I think that that, that sort of advantage being able to go in and sort of maintain a lot of your defense, you've just got guys with more experience. Um, of course you lose a guy like Ivan Pace Jr. Who's just absolutely incredible like it's just crushed it um but again you keep his brother too there with Deshaun pace so it's one of those things where like i said you know i think every hole that sort of opened up has been filled in with somebody that i'd be confident in and and so i think that that's kind of my my look at the defensive side of the ball i'm really not concerned how that defense can continue to compete in the big 12 i think is a different question um, of course, you would expect them to still be playing at a high level. But, uh, you know, when you're playing, like you said before, uh, super high caliber, high speed offenses, it's going to be it's going to be a bit of a challenge to keep up with them. And it's just going to make sure I think, uh, you know, your corners and your safeties are going to be pretty much one of your most important parts just with how, you know, how passing oriented the Big 12 can be. But again, you know, defensive line, defense, everything you're from your edge rusher to all the way through, I have, I have no concerns about really. Now, just jumping into this year's schedule, um, you know, it's you know, as you as you alluded, it's kind of on the weaker side. If you're looking at you know face value for all the other Big Twelve teams, you guys, you know, y'all dodged the Texas the the Texas teams, you know, the TCU's, the Tex, the Texas is, you know not discounting Baylor or University of Houston, but they're just quite not where they need to be, you know, or where they have been in the past. Maybe not so much Houston, but maybe Baylor. Um, On that schedule, you guys open up Eastern Kentucky, Pittsburgh, and uh, Miami of Ohio. Mm -hmm. Are you guys looking to go 
at least at the worst two and one in those three games heading into Big 12 play? Are you guys fairly confident all three of these football games are winnable for you guys? Um, I think personally that should be a three and zero start. Uh, like you said, at worst two and one, and that loss is going to be at Pitt. Um, Eastern Kentucky should not be a problem. And if it is, then we have a hell of a lot of other problems. And that's going to be a real big issue if Eastern Kentucky becomes a problem that early. Um, regardless, and that and that's no disrespect or any flack to them either. This is just one of those things where your expectation is you're going into the Big 12. You're going in to have all these other problems. Don't get tripped your first step in the door. Um, and, and I think that's a big thing for us. Going on the road at Pitt, um, and of course, I think an an at pit game over the past few years uh, could court, sort of be a toss up. I think it's going to be fairly even. Uh, of course, they're going to have a bit of an advantage. First of all, being at home. Uh, second of all, not having near as many question marks as we do. But um, I would still look for the Bearcats to find a way to win that, uh, and I, I think that that is a realistic hope. Um, but I I wouldn't say that winning necessarily at Pitt is an expectation. However, when we talk about Miami of Ohio, this is a game that I, I, the best way I can explain this is you're now going to have Scott Satterfield. Before that, you had Luke Fickle. Before that, you had Tommy Tuberville. Before that, you had Butch Jones. Before that, you had Brian Kelly. You know what all those guys did? They beat Miami of Ohio. It didn't matter what it what it came down to, it didn't matter if it was a close game or if it was a blowout. They found a way to beat Miami, Ohio, and not a single one of them lost to Miami of Ohio. Not one. This this game has been we're we're going close to two decades straight of beating Miami of Ohio. So I think if there's any game in those first three that Cincinnati has earmarked as one that is a you cannot find a way to fuck up part of my French. It is that game. That is the game that you, I mean, Eastern Kentucky, of course you need to win that pit. You can let go of if it happens, but Miami, you just have to win. There is no reason why this should be the first year when we're going into the big 12, even with all these coaching changes, that this is the one that you screw up after almost two decades. Yeah, I, I think everybody can understand. There's just certain teams you can't lose to. For instance, you know, this past season was good for Tech and McGuire's opening. It exceeded expectations by a pretty wide margin. But the biggest win of the year was Texas, right? Like that that was a big moment for the program to get past Texas and Oklahoma in the same season. It, there is a sense that you can win a lot of good graces taking care of business against Texas. Miami, Ohio, of course, a different story, but there's just one of those things. You play somebody enough, you can't afford to lose to them um, mm-hmm. no matter what's going on. And I, I think everybody can kind of understand what that, what that feels like to have a team where you're just like, you just can't lose that game. Right. Yeah, and that was, sorry. Okay. I, I just wanted to add to, like, like I said, this is a game that I think a lot of people have started to just peter off of. They're They're not really interested in it anymore. Does it add value to Cincinnati? Yes, absolutely. Having a rivalry that has stood the test of time, you know, this is going back over 100 years. Like, this is a long-standing rivalry. This goes all the way back to the 1880s. Like, this is something that you take pride in. However, over the past two decades, this is not something that has necessarily been competitive or has been much of an issue for us. There's been a few games that have been close, but this is a game that Cincinnati expects to win. And so again, like it's what like you said, you you just hope that after all said and done when you go through the whole season that you can accept your losses in certain places, but the one there there's a few that is just unacceptable. Now we look at, I like to think, I, I kind of phrase this of all the newcomers. You've got your pre-established uh, out of conference. Those are set ridiculously far in the future. Looking at the schedule, it's been mentioned a few times now. It's a beautiful schedule. You get Oklahoma at home, Iowa State and Baylor at home, um, UCF at home. You only travel. The most difficult destinations will be Provo and going to Stillwater. Um, Stillwater in particular is a 
brutal place to go play. The the stands are right on top of the field. The fucking paddles are just a nightmare <laughs> along with the keys. It it's that is legitimately a top difficult venue. Um, you know, West Virginia is no slouch, but Neil Brown's on his last leg, so it's a trap game if anything. If you right. Cincinnati's having a great year, but let's talk about the first stretch heading into that bye week. You get Oklahoma and then BYU. Arguably, that is the most, uh, you know, outside of Oklahoma State, UCF, you know, you kind of have your two tough games back-to-back kind of smushed in here twice, assuming UCF doesn't stumble. We're making a lot of assumptions this early in the offseason. We still got weeks to go. I have words for that. (laughs) Oklahoma BYU is right out of the gate. The, you know, yep. you've got Oklahoma, the blue blood of all blue bloods, a true powerhouse in the Big 12. They Last year was the first season in a very long time. They were just not good. BYU, of course, is a long history of Power 5 competition, arguably is the most experienced of preparing rosters to go compete at that level. And you got to go to Provo. You get OU at home. What's the expectation out of those games is... Would the panic button be pressed dropping both, which is a possibility having to go on the road to BYU? No, it's I I don't think it is. Like I said, if if you if you take care of business and you start off three and oh and you lose back to back against Oklahoma and then on the road in Provo. I don't think anybody's going to be panicking. I think it's going to be, of course, in the moment, you know, I say that now I say that now we'll get there. And then if that happens, we're all going to be freaking out and we're going to be angry and we're going to be upset. We're going to be trying to figure out what's going on. People are going to call for Satterfield's head already. It's just going to happen because it's, 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 that's the way college football is. It's emotional. But I think when you look at Oklahoma and I think when you look at BYU, they're set up pretty well to be able to succeed in these games. Cincinnati, on the other hand, like we said, I mean, this is this is just sort of the sticking point. Unfortunately, there's just not a lot of you know uh, continuity here. There's not a lot of chemistry with this team and familiarity. Of course, you have some of it again in the defense, um, and we'll see what all gets built over this offseason throughout the summer. But you know, Oklahoma, like you said, not the greatest year last year, arguably one of their worst of recent memory. But it, it comes down to this, I think it. You can't expect that Oklahoma, after a year like that, is going to follow that up with a year that's slightly better. I think they're going to start coming in the door and swinging. Um, and for us being sort of the fir- first on the list, uh, or I guess I'm trying to remember if they actually play anybody out. No, they don't. Yeah, we're the first one for them, too. So for being the first one on the list for Oklahoma... I think they're going to want to be throwing some punches pretty early and we're going to get the best that they've got. Um, and if we find a way to win that game, it's not only going to be exciting for Cincinnati, but it's going to be exciting to watch the absolute fucking mental meltdown that Oklahoma has after that game. I think that'll be the best part personally, uh, especially on their way out. That would be so great. And I think everybody is just rooting for Texas and Oklahoma to like just drop a goose egg uh, throughout conference play this year. Of course, it's not going to happen, but uh, everybody wants to see them lose because they want to see the big 12 teams that are remaining be the powerhouses and say, well, this is why we're here. See ya. Kick you on the door or kick you in the ass on the way out your door. But I think looking at BYU, I view them sort of in a uh, a balanced light. I think there's this is going to be a competitive game for sure. Um, I think if this was at home, you talk about BYU's situation coming into this season, Cincinnati fans would feel a lot more confident in this game. But because it's on the road, I think that that gives them the edge. Um, And again, they have a little bit more figured out and a little bit more chemistry and familiarity going into it. So um, I would expect that this is going to be pretty balanced. But I think that personally, Cincinnati's going one and one at best in that stretch. So since the announcement of you guys coming over to the Big 12 um, last year, what what games on this year's schedule, and then what teams or what games this year um, for Big Twelve teams that you guys are playing that have have you guys had circled since that schedule came out, and who this year that you guys aren't playing y'all do have circled as a team that y'all want to see there at Nippert or you know away you know is there any teams that kind of stood out once that announcement was made. Uh, you're talking specifically about the Big 12 announcement last year, right? That's correct. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I think 
for as anybody who's a newcomer to the Big 12 would be your your circled game is your way out teams of Oklahoma and Texas. We wanted to play them. Um, and of course, you know, with the schedule release, like Oklahoma at home, that was the best gift that we could possibly have. Um, and so, of course, that's going to be by far our biggest uh, red circle game this year. Um, as far as other teams down our schedule for this year, um, UCF is always going to be one for us too. I think there's just a lot of sort of bad blood between us just because we've had the ability to play so much over the past few years in Houston. We can kind of just let go of that. We don't really have a rivalry with them every once in a while that game's competitive, but I I think this is one of those situations where um, the distances between and the level of competition throughout the rest of the big 12 is going to start to separate us more Uh, just like in any conference. Like it's kind of like the, you look at like West Virginia, it's like you have all of these teams in Texas, you have all these teams in Oklahoma and Kansas, this is your central, and then you just have West Virginia way out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I think that separation doesn't really like put them, you know, in any kind of same realm that feels competitive or feels like a rivalry, aside from the fact of how they compete against each other. Um, and so I think that that distance from Houston is going to push us a little bit further, but UCF, I think will still remain the same. Uh, West Virginia, I think too, is going to become a very big regional rivalry again. Um, that was a big thing for us back in the big East. And of course, West Virginia definitely had the edge there. Uh, Cincinnati fans will remember that for sure. But I think there was still a little bit of uh, remnants of sort of those people like me who grew up, you know, elementary middle school you're playing west virginia and you want to beat them um and for some you know older folk that were in high school college or further like this is a thing that people remember um for some of the newer like kids that are actually in college right now they won't really remember that rivalry quite as well um but i think that that's one of those ones too that we're going to have marked even if it's not necessarily expected to be a super high competition kind of game where you're expecting west virginia to you know pound the shit out of the rest of the big 12. Cause obviously that will not be happening. Um, and then again, as far as other teams that we would love to play, I mean, I would really love to just see how we fare against like a TCU or Kansas state. Um, I think those are really interesting. And of course um, I, my, my most, the, the, the thing I'm most interested in above all other ones is to see who truly owns red and black. Is it Texas tech or is it Cincinnati? You know, the, the color showdown in this conference is actually pretty um, pretty interesting because we don't share colors of Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State has quite literally copied every relevant thing we've done so we've in the heard. past <laughs> um, forever and a day. So to, to have somebody else come into the conference with our colors and then have U of H doing the, uh, the, the red and white thing with us all the freaking time um, has, has been very frustrating to say the least <laughs> on top of what Oklahoma State's pulled. Now, let's talk, you mentioned bowl eligibility kind of being, you know, that that's a standard to hit. And I think for a program with Cincinnati's more recent kind of top level success is is an expectation that's built into a program. It's how it, Unfortunately, a lot of coaches have come and gone, but that's because there have been a lot of winning for a conference, uh, a program like this in the lower echelons of college football. Let's talk about what games you think are the must wins if you're looking at this schedule let's say let's just go for a given here for the sake of argument that it's three and out the gate I, I i don't have anything against Pitt. i just don't ever think Pitt's particularly good and i have no sense that they're going to be particularly good this coming season <laughs> so let's say come out to gate three and out you're heading into the big 12 slate you're looking at the schedule you got to find three wins what are the three you're going those are the ones we cannot drop to accomplish this goal um I would say for a variety of reasons, Iowa State, uh, UCF, Houston, and I would love to add Kansas in there too. Um, I, I think the Kansas one is interesting because of last year. You don't, everybody expects Kansas to just drop the ball again uh, and go back to the way that they were. And I don't think that that's realistic. I think Kansas can kind of keep some of that steam. I'm hoping that they do because it was a lot of fun to watch uh, and a lot of fun to bet on too, if you were betting on it. But I, I think that this is one of those situations for us where we look at Iowa state. Like you said, if you start off three, and you're going against Oklahoma, you're going out to Provo. Uh, you're going to have two hard weeks in a row, and then you're going to have a bye week. You're going to have a break and then you're going to go home and you're going to play against Iowa state for homecoming. That is a game that is a must win. It is a 
It's a team that you should expect to be competitive against. First of all, you've got homecoming. You're coming off the bye week. And hopefully you've made some sense of the past two games before that. Uh, So that one's a big one for us. Um, Again, I think, you know, Stillwater is just going to be a nightmare personally. Baylor, I have no idea. I I never know with Baylor. They're all over the board. Um, But UCF, again, at home, that's a game that, you know, unfortunately slipped away from us last year. And I, I, it sucks because West Virginia, or sorry, West Virginia, Central Florida, the Hilton night managers talk so much trash and very rarely do they ever back it up. And, and so, and they usually like to call to the past and we always catch flack for saying that, but it's true. And that's the case. It's, and I, I think that UCF, where we look at that situation, you, you should expect that you can find a way to win that game at home especially for a team that sure you're going to have uh, a bit of a disadvantage with their familiarity, um, you know, with their coach coming in, but ultimately they're going to be, you know, just as tired at that point in the season than us. They're going to be trying to catch up to speed just as much as us. And so that's another big one. I think that you need to really win again, if you're going to have trouble on the road at Oklahoma state, which I fully expect you're going to want to win that. And then again, I, I think at Houston, same deal. I, I firmly believe we we've had we've really not struggled with UCF with the UCFs of the world with the Houston's of the world over the past few years. Of course, last year UCF got one over on us, but I think this is a situation where you want to beat all the teams that you know and you are familiar with. And UCF Houston, you are very familiar with, and you should be able to beat them. Um, and like I said, the Kansas one at the end. I would love that to be a must win, but I am kind of concerned about that because that's a Thanksgiving weekend game. It's actually might be a Thanksgiving day game. I'd have to look at the schedule again, but I doubt that probably not, but regardless uh, it's, it's a late game in the season and it's just asking for you to slip up at home personally, but that's what I would say. Now kind of just jump into the, the, the big, big picture uh, NIL being so big and a part of, college athletics now um, here at in tech, we have what we call as the matador club kind of taking care of all of our players that aren't on scholarship. Well, they're taking care of the entire team all together, but the even more care of the people who are either preferred walk-ons or they just, we didn't have scholarships, but they still have money coming in to um, pay for their education and for them to play football. Um, what has Cincinnati done so far as far as it goes with the NIL moving forward into the Big 12? Cincinnati's been uh, putting in some work. Let's just put it that way. Uh, they've done a lot for for the athletes as a whole. I, I think the most exciting things as of recent, um, of course, I'm going to talk this into the sun because I think it's just the coolest thing on the planet. Having a having a school sponsored NIL sponsored beer since light. It's a lager. It tastes fucking amazing. I just had it for the first time this weekend and I'm in love with it. I think that is the most hammerable beer I have ever had in my life. It has such an edge over domestics. And for that reason, it is just like every time you buy a case, every time you buy a beer, you buy cans, buy a keg. It doesn't matter what you buy. It's going directly to the NIL and having something that is incredibly drinkable that can replace your tailgate drinks that can replace your weddings, your birthday parties, everything is a summer through winter th- kind of thing like there's a lot of really good ideas coming out of our NIL collective that are just trying to find ways to keep this thing funded and to keep this ball rolling and clearly we've already seen the effect when it comes to basketball, we've already got in some fantastic recruits and we're playing up to speed that you should expect in the big 12. Um, and you know, I know the focus has been really on football for the most part, but I think when you look at the basketball side of things too, like you're seeing the effect of NIL and big 12 and Jordan and all of these surrounding things really, really fast. Um, and, and so it's just a very exciting time to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan because you have so many things happening. Um, and it's kind of all materializing at the same point. I, I think, you know, again, not to, you know, be the guy stuck in the past, but it does really suck when you lose a guy like Luke Fickle and you lose a lot of the staff with him. Um, and a couple of those players as well going into this because you had such a head full of steam 
and then you have all of this juice with it, with NIL. I will say on the other side of the uh, coin is that I don't know if Luke Fickle was ever really that interested in NIL. And I think he's kind of maybe more of an old school coach in that mindset. But for me, it just didn't seem like there was much of a push towards that or much of an emphasis. I think he was getting really frustrated losing out on a lot of these recruits to other schools that were able to pay them more. And I I think that's part of where this frustration came from. And I think he was ready to just go and have a different change. Big 10, big 10 money. Um, But Cincinnati's response to all of that was we're in and we're just going to keep pumping it in. doesn't matter who's behind the helm. We love this program and we are going to do what it takes in order to make this program great. And we're very quickly seeing the effect of that. You you got my mouth watering by just talking about it. So <laughs> I may just have to send you my address so you can send me a case over and I'll be more than happy to contribute to y'all's NIL for a good, for a good locker. That's for <laughs> damn sure. Um, uh, one last question, or at least for me, um, we don't play you guys this year. Um, Y'all don't come here. We don't go there. But just for for people and fans in the Lubbock area, tech fans from around the area, what is a game day like at Nippert Stadium? What kind of sets you guys apart? Was there any kind of traditions you do? We throw tortillas. Y'all have beers. Do y'all shotgun something now? Is there something that um, the Bearcats do uh, for, for particular home games that, you know, kind of stands apart. Something that you remember since you're a long life fan. Yeah. If, if we're going to talk real fast about shotgunning, we don't shotgun beer. We shotgun Skyline chili. Uh, and I will always talk that up as much as I can. I'm telling you, it is probably one of the worst life decisions you will ever make uh, when it comes to your arteries. But if you like Skyline chili, man, it is a fun time and people have started doing it a lot more. And I think it's really funny, uh, but it's a thing that like, it, it sounds crazy, but people do it. And I think it's funny. Uh, regardless of that, traditions wise, campus wise, game day atmosphere. It is a very, very fun environment to be around. I grew up, my um, my mom's worked at the campus since I was like five years old. So I've been surrounded by Bearcats aura my entire life. I've been going there since I was a kid um, and seeing the transformation of the campus and just how modern things have got. Um, when I when I was a kid, when she first started there, uh, the university was in a much different place overall. Basketball was down. Football had nothing to talk about. Uh, it, there was nothing to write home about to mom about. Like It, it was just kind of whatever. And, and I think that when you look at the transformation of the athletics department, when you look at the transformation of the buildings around campus, the juice behind so many programs, the co-op program, like Cincinnati is a very exciting campus, an exciting environment. People flock to the stadiums during game day. Um, one of the things that you will find very quickly for those of you in Lubbock, if you're coming out here, the desert, wide open range. City, on the other hand, and in Cincinnati, very, very compact. And especially with Clifton, the way that... Uh, the University of Cincinnati is set up is it's just basically this square on top of this big hill and there's four streets surrounding it on all sides. Everything's encompassed inside that except for the medical campus and people tailgate on every corner, every side of the street. The thing that makes this very unique is that our football stadium is dead smack center, like the exact center of campus. It could not be closer. The, f- the basketball arena right next to it, baseball right next to it. All of our athletics is right in the center. So people gravitate from every side and it is just this constant movement and just joining of people. So when you get together on game day, there's always a great place to tailgate. There's plenty of lots to do it. The Sigma Sigma Commons holds probably the biggest one. Uh, I know there's a couple other people who love to do it in the garages and some of the other areas around, um, but there's plenty of great beers to choose from. Cincinnati has plenty to do on that end. Um, and, and it's it's a very, like I said, it's a very enjoyable atmosphere to be around. Um, as far as traditions, you can expect the uh, charge down the steps, which is a big thing that we do at the beginning of every game where a marching band just runs from the top of this death, death-defying run, mind you, down this bowl. These steps are st- super steep. I've only ever seen somebody fall like twice with a tuba all the way down to like a trumpet or like a piccolo. Like it's impressive what these, what these uh, marching band folks do, but they run down the steps. They go around. That's a big part of our university as well. And we really love our marching band. Um, 
and as well to, uh, you know, fire off cannons after field goals, touchdowns, so on and so forth. Um, and pump it up is the jam right now. It's been the jam for past two or three seasons. Uh, and it was the juice with the college football playoffs. So if you see Cincinnati, you can expect that to happen. And we're going to call first dibs on that. Uh, we saw a lot of people doing that after we made our uh, college football playoff run. And we just like to claim first dibs to it because it's a great song. That'll bring us to the end of our interview. Once again, we were joined by Justin of Evil Cats. Follow them on Twitter, Evil Cats Pod. Uh, I don't. I'm assuming the Threads account, if they've made the jump over there, is similar. But feel free to listen. I'm in. They're gonna. <laughs> I can't blame you. We started one, and I, I don't know how I feel about it quite yet. Uh, but point being, follow those guys along all year. We probably we would love to have them on later again for future uh, recordings. And if no other reason, you get this. It, I think one of the most interesting storylines is to track, um, you know, f- the four new teams. So if you're maybe not the biggest diehard football fan outside of just rooting for Texas Tech, speaking to our listeners, and you're looking for some other games to watch, I think the most fun is going to be watching these teams perform. So give a listen to all four now. This will be the complete set of our podcast with the newcomers, starting with U of H, UCF, BYU, and now closing with Cincinnati. Once again, thanks for Justin for being here. It was a blast. We do not see Cincinnati, which is a huge disappointment. I was hoping to to get uh, newcomer bingo and get all four teams <laughs> in this first rendition of of our of our new Big 12, but we will hopefully see them in the new future, scheduling gods permitting, and we will, of course, almost certainly see them in other sports down the line this coming sporting season. It's eight-ish long weeks to the start of the season. Cincinnati's uh, uh, destined for their first step up in competition along with the other newcomers. We're going to see which one of them comes out on top. Uh, you know, I think there should be almost a separate standings of trophy for which of those four schools finishes highest in the pecking order. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, make bets with your friends. I think that's going to be a great prop bet, which of those four teams ends up with the best record. Oh, yeah. um, so once again, Justin, thank you for being here. It was, it was a pleasure. Thank you. It was a blast to be on here with you guys and uh, would love to do it again sometime soon. You're always welcome on uh, Viva the Cats. We'll be rooting for you guys going through the year. We'll see which team ends up in charge of red and black, hopefully starting next season for football. Um, guys, we feel, as always, you can follow our podcast pretty much anywhere where major podcasts are released. Uh, subscribe, comment, like, DM, whatever you want to do to engage with us. We always answer questions. If you have one or if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know. These shows are pretty much completely unscripted. Um, Ask our guests. They don't see these questions in advance (laughs) and we make them up as we're going. So if there's something you want us to talk about, chances are you can just ask us. to. I'll shove it into the shows um, at the last minute. Once again, Reckham guys, as always, have a great rest of your summer. We're closing in on the start of football season. We'll have more previews and predictions going forward on the year as we close in on the start date. But again, listen to all four of these previews to get a feel for the newcomers coming to the Big 12.